name is Wolverine. I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do isn't very nice. Ooh, staples. I didn't know I had staples there. Sorry. What's going on there, Doug? <laughs> Man, good thing I <laughs> almost split out my nose. <laughs> Let me tell you, you don't want to shoot Gatorade out your nose. I did that the other day at work. Oh, that would burn. It burns. Because <laughs> I was trying to... I was trying to program a panel, chew gum, and uh, and drink Gatorade at the same time, and I think I overloaded myself. <laughs> and a yeah, squirrel that's ran too by. much. <laughs> yeah, it's like. <laughs> Luckily, I was in a uh, not really nice, clean space, so I just shot all that stuff right out of my mouth and out and out my nose, right onto the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody saw me, <laughs> and my dignity was maintained until I told this story. Until you told all of us, yeah. And everybody out in podcast land, because this is the opener. Damn it. <laughs> all right, so who's bringing it in? You are. <laughs> this is becoming the routine now, isn't it? <laughs> all right. <clears throat> what episode are we up to, anyway? La, 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 la. La, la, la. la. <laughs> We're up to 116. Back to the bin. Hey everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins, episode number 116. This is our shameless, obligatory, coattails riding Wolverine episode. And I am joined today by, what, did I introduce myself? I don't remember if I did. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined today by the usual uh, hooligans, Dr. Bill Robinson. Schnick. And Scott H. Gardner. Did you say Wolverine? I thought you, oh, I thought you said before Listerine. I got the wrong damn book, man. That would be an interesting book. You mean I read Hitlerine for nothing? <laughs> and we have, are joined today by the, I don't even know what, what, what word to use to describe him, so I'll just say... Stoned. The stoned. Uh, we are joined today by Mr. Chris Honeywell. They started out by introducing me as some kind of druggy. Wrong move, bub. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You are the best you are, the best there is at what you do. <laughs> All right, I want to get this out of the way right at the very beginning of this episode since you brought that up. If what I did best was get my ass kicked on a regular basis, I would stop introing every story with I'm the best there is at what I do. I, I just want to put that out there. And what I do isn't pretty. What I do is get curb stomped every issue. <laughs> well, you know what? Back in that, at that, you know, at that point, he wasn't invis- invincible, and it made for more interesting stories. Even if he did have to do that intro true. each time, this is true. No, Chris Claremont had to do that intro each I'll, time. I'll, yeah, I will. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he did like that intro. Well, we're stepping on my notes for my part of the story already, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna back off that conversation. <laughs> Back off, Bob. Slowly back away. So I, I, I understand, Bill, you have a song for us? <clears throat> oh, I didn't, I didn't ask you to sing it yet. Dude, hold on there, cowboy. <laughs> well, I asked us if you had a song. 
Uh, I might, Rabbit. I might. All right. So I'm going to throw a I'm going to throw a promo to our audience right now, and when we get back, you will hear Bill's song. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. We're back. <laughs> Whoa! That, that, that was a real quick promo, though. That was wasn't exciting. It? That, that show sounds so good. Now, uh, Bill, you have a song? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's something I thought on the way home today. <clears throat> As he closed a gleam, run red too. He's got a healing factor. Best at what he do. And I think to myself, is the Wolverine? I think to myself, is the Wolverine? Oh yeah! Very well played. Were you trying not to cough your ass off all the way through that song? <laughs> no, I was wondering how many people saw me singing it in the van on the way home today. What's that guy doing over there? Is he having an aneurysm? Was he taking a crap? We had a customer at one of the restaurants that like used to walk in. He looked just just like him, and whenever he would come in, somebody would go, "Louis Armstrong's here!" And then everybody in the kitchen would go, "I see clouds," of <laughs> and then promptly followed by. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> what a wonderful How can we follow swirl. that up? Explain to me how we can follow that up. There's nothing. If you're listening, you know, you've already heard the best of the show. So, All right, Louis Armstrong. <laughs> Good night, everybody. It's only going downhill from here. Actually, maybe we should end it right there and do like one that's only like five minutes long and then like the next day put out another one. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> that's it? <laughs> You gentlemen do whatever you'd like. Yeah, we got the bandwidth, baby. Yep. But uh, the original plan was we were going to do our usual obligatory coattails writing type episode and each pick a Wolverine issue. And uh, Scott got caught up with his Captain Canuck issue and never got to a Wolverine issue. <laughs> so we decided it would be a good thing to do the Wolverine miniseries from 1982 by Chris Claremont and, Fa- and Frank Miller. And that's why Chris joined us, because we have four books instead of three. And I, I, knew from, I knew from our childhood that this was a, a childhood favorite of Chris's. I remember when, uh, when this came out on the stands, you know, we were buying our comics from the, the local cigar shop was where we got our comics off the spinner rack. And I can remember Chris like really freaking out about that, that first issue when it came out and everything. So I wanted to make a, a point to include him in on this one. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you did, because I haven't read this in years, and it was awesome to read it again. I forgot what a big fan I was. As, you know, Frank Miller soured on me in, in the last few years, because he's kind of, uh, how should I put it, sucked. <laughs> so it sort of, you know, made me not 
as eager to, but I, this is making me want to go back and read his Daredevil books. I loved it, so I'm I'm really glad to be here. Hey, I'm really glad to be here. And we're <laughs> glad you were available to join us for it. But uh, yeah, you know, we were talking before we started recording, and I was saying though, as good as this is, and I don't want to give too much up of what I what I think of the book at this point uh, already, but. I think you add to it by reading it through the eyes of 1982 and taking into account that the miniseries was not so common then and that a lot of the things that are cliche now, like being the best there is at what I do, uh, they weren't cliche yet. They were still you know, new and fresh at that time. Yeah, this is when a lot of the cliches were getting created or brought back out from retirement from film noir or wherever, you know, wherever he was digging them out from. Yeah, and I, th- I think we, we'll probably talk about that a little when we get through them. So I, I, we were thinking that the best way to do this would be to do the four synopsises in a row and then discuss them rather than discuss it after each book because otherwise I think we'll get kind of repetitive. Oh, okay. So I have, issue, all night. Yeah, I have issue number one, which is cover dated September of 1982. It had a cover price of 60 whole cents. The cover is by Frank Miller and Joseph Rubenstein, and it has a close-up of Wolverine with the claws on his right hand extended, and he's beckoning the reader to come closer with his left hand. And it's a pretty cool-looking cover, if you ask me. The story is written by Chris Claremont. It's penciled by Frank Miller. Joseph Rubenstein is credited as the finisher. Letters are by Tom Orzakowski. Colors by Glynis Ween. It is edited by Louise Jones, who eventually, I believe, became Louise Simonson. And Jim Shooter is listed as supervisor. The story opens with the now-cliched Wolverine telling us that he's the best at what he does and that what he does isn't very nice. We join him as he's hiking and climbing, and he's on the trail of a killer in the wilderness who apparently knows that he's being tracked. He eventually makes his way into a cave where we see the killer is a rogue grizzly bear. They both extend their claws, and Wolverine slices off the bear's arm, Star Wars cantina style, and takes out the bear altogether. He finds an arrow in the bear's back that's coated with an illegal poison that is what drove the bear insane, and seven men, three women, and five children died because the hunter didn't bother to finish the bear off. Wolverine tracks the hunter to a bar 57 miles from the bear's den. And there's a really cool shot showing Wolverine's perspective where the hunter is sitting there and he can see the hunter and then everyone else is kind of just silhouette, silhouetted and it kind of gives you his perspective based on the fact that he's been tracking the guy. The hunter looks kind of like Lee Marvin and he cracks Wolverine in the face with a beer mug, which of course only makes him angry. And... What they do there is pretty cool because they just kind of end it there and they leave it to your imagination to finish what happened. But we do learn that he did not kill the man and that he ended up testifying at a deposition uh, that the man was going to be prosecuted for, I guess, uh, reckless endangerment or some some form of negligent, uh, maybe negligent homicide. At this point, we rejoin Wolverine and he's on a plane looking at some photos of his love, Mariko Yashida. His letters to her have been returned unopened, and when he called, they hung up on him, so now he's on a flight to Japan. In Japan, he's met by a friend who tells Logan that Mariko is now married as a result of her father making a deal, and he tries to dissuade Logan from pursuing the issue. Of course, Logan immediately sets off to confront her. 
and at her ancestral home, there are two wolf-like guard dogs. Wolverine confronts them and locks eyes with them, and they communicate in silence, and the dogs ultimately let him pass rather than uh, engage him in battle. Wolverine meets up with Mariko, who's sitting in front of a statue of Buddha that's got to be like 40 feet tall. She begs him to leave, and he sees that her husband has been beaten on her like a cheap drum. The husband comes in, and Wolverine lifts him by his throat and is ready to gut him, but Mariko gets him to relent. And just as he's thinking about the flight that he's going to take back to New York, he gets ambushed with poison ninja throwing stars, which would have killed him if not for his healing factor. He awakens in front of Mariko's father, Lord Shinjin, who challenges him to a fight with wooden practice swords. And at this point, the combination of Shinjin's expertise and Wolverine's lingering wooziness from the poison allow Shinjin to defeat him easily. Wolverine realizes the strikes he's been hit with would have killed a normal man, and he unsheathes his claws. However, he sees how upset Mariko is, and his heart really isn't in it, and he falls short of hitting with a killing strike, and Shinjin basically continues with his barrage and takes Wolverine out. In the next scene, he wakes up in an alley where he's confronted by some thugs, and in really kind of a cool sequence, he's shown taking them out, but you never actually see them getting taken out. You'd see them holding up some sticks, and then you see the sticks falling to the ground. Uh, so you never actually see the killing blows, which are cool. Afterwards, a woman grabs him by the face, shoves him against the wall, and tells him, you're mine now, Wolverine, now and forever. And the story is to be continued. And that's where I come in, which uh, issue number two, this is October 1982, 60 cents again. Same exact credits, I'm assuming so with the um, the cover two, which has a snarling Wolverine leaping right towards your face, looking very uh, half Wolfman, half vampire almost. So uh, basically, Wolverine wakes up in a in an apartment with his uh, hot Asian savior Yukio, and he's surrounded by ninja assassins from the hand, and. Uh, in a bloody battle, Wolverine basically slaughters a whole cadre of, of the ninjas. And uh, back at Yukio's place, she's kind of marveling at his uh, healing ability and then get, tries to get Logan to uh, build the beast with two backs. Uh, he's into it at first, but then he balks because he still has goo-goo eyes for uh, Mariko. So the next day, Yukio busts into Shinjin's office, and it turns out... She's his head assassin, and she's pissed because she thinks he overdid it with the ninjas the night before when they attacked Wolverine because they were coming. There were a whole bunch of them, and they were they were coming for blood, and Shinjin tells her, look, it was necessary because otherwise it wouldn't have fooled him if, if we didn't send a serious group of people who really meant to kill him. So uh, he also tells her that he's got another assignment for her, and that's, uh, he wants her to kill one of their competitors during a play, which is sort of a peace offering that he's going to be at. And, uh, then, uh, she has to off Wolverine and she agrees to this and, uh, she talks Logan into going with her to the play and, uh, there on the, um, pretense of protecting Mariko who's there with her, with her husband and uh, turns out it's kind of a double-double cross because they're going to kill Shinjin's uh, competitor, but he's also uh, 
set a trap for Mariko and her husband and the Kabuki troupe that's performing at the end of the show turn their swords on Mariko and uh, that's when Wolverine leaps out and just starts taking out all the actor assassins. Um, Yukio, meanwhile, um, blows up Shinjin's foe and his wife when they're trying to sneak out the back door and drive away. So, uh, meanwhile, Wolverine's gone complete berserker and just shredded all the assassins, but Mariko's seen it all and she's horror-stricken and she just silently turns around and leaves. And Wolverine knows that she's just, <laughs> that's, that's the end of that. So Yukio is psyched. And she says to herself, it's kind of like an Archie comic. Now Logan belongs to me. And of course, it's to be continued. All right. So that's where I come in with that's issue you. three. I just want to point out, I am also the best there is at what I do. And what I do is spend an awful lot of time on the can. <laughs> So issue three of Wolverine is cover dated September 1982. It was actually released August 3rd, 1982. That's according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Written, of course, by Chris Claremont. Penciled by Frank Miller with inks by Joe Rubenstein. And they also provide the, uh, the cover on this particular one. The cover features depressed and sullen Wolverine sitting all alone in the dark, sad and lonely because all the other children tease him relentlessly for his girly long fingernails, his flock of seagulls hairdo, and his laughable (laughs) cliched dialogue. He can't play in all the Wolverine games. (laughs) (laughs) Poor, poor Wolverine. All he wanted was to be loved. So anyway, we pick up uh, part three of our miniseries with a chapter called Loss. L-O-S-S. Wolverine, sad and lonely, as I pointed out before, does what any sensible, heartbroken man does when the love of his life spurns him. He tussles with a drunken sumo wrestler in a bar. Who hasn't done that? (laughs) Thankfully, however, there is nothing whatsoever homoerotic about... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. There is everything actually homoerotic about this scene, (laughs) particularly... When Wolverine is seen dancing an Irish jig whilst holding his opponent over his head at one point. WTF, indeed. Uh, Wolverine concludes their fun by throwing his new friend through a plate uh, plate glass window. And then he and Yukio leave, only to be met by his friend again, uh, Asano Kimura, the Japanese Secret Service guy who asks Wolverine for his help in taking down, quote-unquote, someone who wants to take over Japan. Now, this begs the question of why everyone refers to Shingen as some mysterious, quote-unquote, someone, when we all know goddamn well who they're talking about through this entire book. That kind of drove me crazy. Anyway, Wolverine is... There's no nice way to say it. He's a total prick to this guy that he later refers to as one of his best pals. And instead of helping him out, he prefers to run off with Yukio for some nookie, literally on the bullet train tracks, and they damn near get run over. He he would rather do that than go help his friend. So then uh, Uh, Wolverine... Yeah... (laughs) (laughs) you would rather almost get hit by a train than help me out if i needed a favor Uh, you're not mentioning the hot girl that i'd be scrogging at the same time actually i don't think she's that hot 
<laughs> no, she looks like a dude in a whole lot of the book, I think. But anyway, so Wolverine, he passes out and he has a dream that he's in the exact kind of movie that I never watch. Then he wakes up to find Yukio fighting for her life against still more Frank Miller ninjas. She holds her own, but when she tries to rouse Wolverine to help her out, he mumbles the name of his old girlfriend and Yukio, understandably pissed, kicks his face in and then leaves. So later in Wolverine's apartment, Yukio kills Asano for uh, not using the door buzzer. And then when Wolverine gets home, he finds his dead pal with Yukio's knife in his throat, sniffs it, and finally recognizes the scent and realizes that she works for Old Man Smithers that runs the haunted amusement park. No, I'm sorry. It works for Shingen, actually, um, who might as well run the haunted amusement park in this because I still didn't really get why he was such a big bad. Uh, so anyway, now they must fight and she jumps out the window and they run across every rooftop in Tokyo before he finally corners her in a Japanese rock garden where just as he's about to snick her to death, the hands show up again out of nowhere and he's got to kick the crap out of another hundred Miller ninjas. Once they're all dead and Yukio has conveniently run away again, he plays with some rocks and decides that Shingen was wrong. He is not an animal. He is a human being. To be concluded. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rock garden. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads us to the final, the end, the last, number four issue. And here our story is entitled Honor. And we have the same cast of characters, uh, except the difference this time is that the colorist is Lynn Varley. And uh, this, uh, from Mike's Amazing World, uh, the cover date is December 1982, and the on-sale date was August 31st, 1982. So, Wolverine has decided to dismantle Shingen? Shinjin? Shinjin? I think Shinjin. Shinjin. Shinjin's organization from top to bottom, all throughout Japan. And in the following, what we would call nowadays, a montage... And hours, he has broken what took years to put together. This does not go unnoticed, however, by Shinjin and his lieutenants. They state that strength must be shown to maintain order. He tells them that he has sent his finest ninja to take care of the Gaijin Wolverine. <clears throat> as quickly as those words are spoken, a package arrives for Shinjin. Telegram, telegram for Mr. Shinjin. Containing the ninja's hood and a note with tonight written on it. He orders that the hand is to be summoned and that he will face Wolverine. Meanwhile, Logan mulls over what has happened in the past three issues in a typical Chris Claremont fashion. He is ready to face Shinjin in combat again. And another interlude. In the family history room of the clan Yoshida, Mariko is also re <clears throat> recounting the recent past and is torn between her duty to her father and her love for Logan. She does not know what to do. Elsewhere, Yukio, who is no, looking, no longer looking for Nukio with Wolverine, is sneaking into Castle Yoshida, or so she thinks, and is taken captive by the hand and brought before Shinjin for her failure to kill Wolverine. Uh, he faces her in combat in which she is losing, and when Mariko tries to stop him, uh, they are both interrupted by a... Report from Post One that is cut off. Then there is silence. 
we as the reader see that all of the outposts cannot answer. Mariko's husband, meanwhile, decides it's time to split town, and he decides to use his wife as a bargaining chip to escape. Confronted by Wolverine as he's leaving, he tells Wolverine to step out of the shadows and face him, and at which point he plugs him full of lead. And Yuriko sneaks up behind and saves Mariko, or excuse me, Yukio sneaks up behind and saves Mariko by taking her husband's life. We next find that Wolverine now faces Shinjin again after. <clears throat> blah, 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 blah. Wolverine faces Shinjin again after saying goodbye to Yukio and dressing his wounds with Mariko Shaw. The two face off this time with steel instead of wool. Wolverine asks, am I worthy now? That, Gaijin, remains to be seen, replies Shinjin. The battle is brutal and no quarter is given. In the end, Shinjin closes in and Logan grabs his sword and extends his claws into Shinjin's waiting skull. Logan faces Mariko, waiting for her reaction. She tells the story of the honor sword forged by Masamuri, Masamuni, Masamuni, the supreme swordsman. She offers the sword to him. He says that he is unworthy, but she tells him that his actions have proved that he is and that that he is a far better man than her father could have hoped to be. And we end this lovely tale as uh, we now see the X-Men mansion um, in New York and we are treated by seeing Nightcrawler, Storm, Kitty Pride, and Colossus and, uh, and, and Cyclops reading an invitation to the Wedding, His Imperial Majesty Hirohito, Emperor of Japan, requests the pleasure of your company at the wedding of Lady Mariko of Clan Yoshida to Logan. Hey, Elf, don't forget the beer. W. RSVP. The end. But, if anybody's read the X-Men, you know, that doesn't last for long. The end. I was actually trying to remember what happens after this, because uh, I've read through X-Men of this era... And I remember this being an well, that was actually a cover, wasn't it? Yes, yes it was. It was like in the one sixties, one seventies, and I think Master doesn't Mastermind mess with Mariko's head? No, they get married. Uh, Wolverine retires, and you never see him again. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you don't remember? No. What do, What does happen? I can't remember what happens. Does she get killed or something? I don't remember. No, she doesn't get killed, but. Uh... <sighs> Something happens to mess up the wedding. I think it involves uh, Silver Samurai at that point. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, I half expected him to show up in this story. because I... well, he, He's her half-brother, I think. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Hmm. And he's yeah, also I a mutant. I don't think I read sort. X-Men past this point, so yeah. I liked it right, ending right there. Now, was this yeah. anybody else's first time reading this? Oh, no. 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 I, no I okay. had this one originally came out. Just like you That's guys. why you have such a mocking tone, Mr. Gardner. Because yeah. you didn't read this the first time it came out. It's all it's all a series of cliches to you. Now it, it is. Was, yeah. Yeah, it was brand new when it came out. I mean I it's think it, I read if you the were first issue because I can remember you having the first issue and, and I think I read it either over your shoulder or you let me look at it because the, the first issue seemed very familiar to me. But I've never read all four issues in one go because I've never had all four issues before. I, I have issues one, two, and four. So all these years I've been waiting to get, you know, the last, you know, the third issue so that I could read the whole thing. 
So for this recording, this is the first time I've ever read it all in one go. And there were portions of it I like. I do like being able to step back to a much earlier um, and a much raw version of Wolverine before he became, you know, the... I, I just I'm not a big fan of comic book Wolverine. I like the movie version of Wolverine a lot. It, it was really it was the movie version of the X-Men that won me over on X-Men. I was never an X-Men fan. And I really was never a fan of, of comic book, you know, the comic book version of Wolverine. But looking back on this, I can see where this version of Wolverine is much closer to that movie version. And I like that. You know, I like him with like the, you know, the bionic implants and things like that. You know, rather than, you know, later on it became where that was part of his mutation was that, you know, the claws were actually a part. And I just I never liked all that. I liked the the earlier version. So a lot of that was here. But at the same rate, I also agree with Byrne that this is where with this miniseries, that's where they started to move away from the original incarnation of Wolverine into a whole different thing that he became eventually with. With this, you know, with the whole samurai thing and all, I well, it became a cash cow, and then they just started right. milking it, and then mm-hmm. lesser writers started writing it, and it just became ridiculous quickly. Yeah, and then there were twenty million Wolverine books and and all that, and that's when I started losing interest. It was like sort of like I went out on this because it was sort of a high point, you know. But yeah, I, was, I mean, I think that. This was them making him a more layered and interesting character. Uh, I think I think that you're confusing that a little bit with what it eventually was bastardized into when they started to overdo it. When when this first came out, and even afterwards when he first had his own series, he wasn't being overused the way he is now. This was 1982. No. It probably wasn't until around 86 or 87 that they really started just killing the character by, yeah. you know, overexposure. No, no, I agree with you there. What I, what I was talking about is that, you know, John Byrne has not nice things to say about where Wolverine went. And a lot of it he puts onto Chris Claremont and the direction that Claremont with, went with the character. This is one of the big things he cites is that in Burns' mind, Wolverine was basically a psychopath, and you know very much like he was in the in the X Men issue where he goes through the sewer and takes out all those guys at the Hellfire Club, and this was Claremont's attempt to kind of temper the character a little bit, give him some some depth, some nobility. And, and make him into more of what he later became with the whole samurai thing and all that. There's portions of that that I like, but at the same rate, just not being a fan of this particular element of the character, I, I can see where Burns' beef with it comes from mm-hmm. because I, I, I never really cared for that angle either. It, it seems a little tacked on. It doesn't really seem like it fits it's an interesting story for another character. I don't think it fits this particular character in his original incarnation, the original idea of him being, you know, this, this animal in human form, you know, this, this guy that was just 
barely containing his rage and his fury and, and could well, that's his, turn that's into his... just a raging psychopath at any moment, you know, if you just looked at him wrong. Well, that didn't even happens in this story at one that's point. That's the Wolverine for three issues of this, supposedly, you know, in the story arc of this. And then in the fourth issue, he's like, no, I realized I'm, I'm, I'm a man. <laughs> Not an animal. <laughs> But I, I, I got to respectfully disagree with you and respectfully disagree with John Byrne. Uh, as much as I love Byrne's stuff, uh, I think the Wolverine as presented coming up to this point was, you know, as fascinating as he was, if they had kept going along those lines and hadn't branched it out a little bit, he would have been a one-note character that eventually would have just gotten boring. To give Probably. him To give him layers and... I think to some extent they uh, they ruined things by actually letting him find out what his history was and telling us what it was, uh, because I always liked the you know he his his past being shrouded in in mystery and not knowing exactly where he came from and you know the fact that he didn't know where he came from. Um, I mean, I guess you can't go in definitely with that because sooner or later it's like you know, come on, he, he keeps every, you know every time uh, he, I, he follows a lead, he hits a dead end, and it just starts to get boring after a while. But. Up until you said that, I was agreeing with everything you said, but I, I will I will agree, disagree with the idea that you can't do that indefinitely. I think that was the mystique of the character. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think him that be a man without a past who who you'll never really know. What the whole deal? I think they could have milked that forever. I, and, I think and I they like could still it. be doing that today because I think the moment that you lay it all bare, whether it's a great story, whether it's a, a, a rotten story, once you have it out there, that's it. You can never have it quite the same way again. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Oh no! I and I'm of the that. opinion that Origin was a crappy story. I really didn't think it was very good, but again, I'm not really a fan of the character anyway, so I wasn't I terribly invested. And I thought that story was fair. I didn't think it was terrible, but I didn't think it was anything so great either. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was, you know, it was an okay read. Uh, but I, I mean, I totally agree with you that they let the genie out of the bottle, and that does spoil it somewhat. Uh, you know, I, I think I, all I, that I, happened after this series. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> See, I, this series is partly to blame, but at the same time, to, I, I mean, to me, this is the ideal. This is the Wolverine I picture as a character. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like the movies. He's more like this in the movies. I, I remember right. in the X-Men series before this, uh, when they were in Japan, and somebody says something in Japanese, and he responded in Japanese, and they showed the other X-Men looking like, wait a minute, he speaks Japanese? Like, that was a cool aspect of it, that he's got this mystery, you know, you really don't know what you're dealing with, and that he could have been, you know, to all these places and done all these things, and you have no idea what they are yet. And and even he, like, you know, his memory wasn't there, but he still had the ability. So, like, he could speak Japanese, but he wouldn't necessarily remember when he was in Japan. Although, obviously, he did remember at some point. I, I'm trying to remember now. I guess they had it that he got basically mind-wiped at the point when he got the adamantium. So, so it was Something like, like that, yeah. So it was like everything before the adamantium he couldn't remember and everything afterwards he could. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I, I should remember this better because I I did a complete read through of the X Men. It's hard just to a remember it because it was too. kind of yeah. bullshit. I thought you know, yeah. 
Wasn't there an Avengers issue that had Captain America and Black and Black Widow with Wolverine in World War Two? Yes. Yeah, I think that was the first time that it was hinted at that he was much, 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 much older. older. Yeah. And we had come to realize up to that point. And that was I, pre like they they had him, I think, with no claws. I think so, yeah. I like they didn't right. have the bone claw thing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I picked. I, I wasn't reading X Men off the stands at that time, but I remember when that issue came out, I picked it up just because I thought the cover was really awesome, and I remember reading it and being really confused. Like, wait a minute, this story is taking place in World War Two. How the hell is Wolverine in this story? And then that's when you realize that wow, this guy actually has been around for a long, long time. If he fought with Cap in World War Two, kind of thing, and, and it who- started to lend a little bit more uh, to the character. Who was the Black Widow? Was it the young, 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 young Black Widow? I can't remember. I know she was in it, but I can't remember who she was. I guess she was supposed to be... Like a teenager. The, so the she's like 90 years old. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, that doesn't quite add up somehow. Well, that's the problem with any any story where they... <laughs> See, we're all talking in the period this, and I keep thinking, that's why I stopped <laughs> reading to <laughs> it this time. No. Oh, I found the... I found the follow-up issue. It's there, and if you guys want to look at it, yeah, issue we'll, we'll, one seventy-two. We'll just stop, and I'll read it now. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Fun. See, I don't know. I, I reading this story again. It's like, it's like it's they like going home. They took they took Wolverine, and Claremont was like, I love the Frank. I mean, there's obviously so many elements from the Frank Miller daredevil run in this with ninjas and the hand the hand was actually in a lot of daredevil issues mm-hmm. well with and, uh, yeah 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 and uh and i think it was just sort of his chance to throw in wolverine as this combination of wolverine the classic like sam spade hard-boiled prick detective and clint eastwood's man with no name and just, you know, set it in in Japan and have at it, you know, make a visual treat. That's how I always pictured. And the story is good, but it's sort of your standard story of betrayal and, you know, double crossing. But it's the way you tell it. Yeah, yeah, it's the way it's the way you tell it. And it's completely cinematic, you know, it's the um the exposition you you could totally hear it as voiceover, you know, going along with the movie. Well, we, and it would be we really need, dramatic. Uh, Leyland to do his Clint Eastwood uh, voice. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It's overly ridiculous. You know, when I'm reading it now, what 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 was just like visceral and cool then is kind of like cheesy now. Or, you know, over the top now. But you know, back then it was pretty. It was pretty neat. And you didn't hear that language, that the the sort of spareness, especially with Chris Claremont. You know, there's not the half the page isn't taken up with word balloons in uh, in this one for sure. Especially, I, don't the last know, I one love it. It's pretty sparse compared to the other ones. Yeah, like I mean, like, t- yeah, like two and three is pretty dense. One's kind of skimpy, and four is kind of skimpy. Probably why Paul and I took those, and you guys got stuck with two and three. <laughs> so now, of the four of us, only one has seen the movie so far. Yes. Are you planning on doing a group 
review on that, or are you... Uh... It's, at some point, yeah, because me and... I, I saw with Scott McGregor on a, at a matinee, and we were Scott. just sort of going to hang out and, and wait to see who sees it in the next, you know, next week or so. Well, I expect to see it tomorrow, actually, so... Uh... I enjoyed it a lot. I'll, I well, don't, don't give up than... the store yet. If you're going to do a review show on it, <laughs> hang on to that opinion. What's I the hate word? it's guts. <laughs> is there an after-credit scene we got to stick for? Yes, I heard that definitely. there is. Definitely. Because okay. right, I, I don't know anything other than what I've seen in the commercials. I might could try to see it. Uh, is this something I could take Ben to see? No. Uh, oh, wow. Probably not. It's not... It's violent. There's a little bit of blood. It's not gory. They, you know, they do a lot of off-screen. It's almost to the point of where I wish it was R. But um, there's, 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 uh, it's, there's an, the one allotted f bomb for uh, PG thirteen. I think it's just one, right? But they get it in there. Boobies? And, uh, huh? Boobies? He's the boobies no at what boobies. he does. No boobies. Ah. Sorry. You know what? Just to, if, if, I'm out. if it's a total take of this comic, what's her name? Yukio doesn't have any boobies anyway. Yeah, this is true. Well, that's well, a man, well, baby. She's practically. Yeah. <laughs> Yukio is a lot more feminine in the movie than she is in the book, but she still has that sort of angular face. Well, I know but, she's um, played by a model in the movie, so that's, well, a, that's a step up. Without without spoiling any future show or whatever, or just bringing it into the context of this one, it's not. It's definitely not an adaptation of this miniseries. I get the feeling that maybe this miniseries has been updated and retold and rebooted and stuff a few times, and so it might be a combination of stuff that I haven't read. But it has, it has the characters in it, and it has elements of the story and scenes, but it's not the same storyline. Yeah, because the only scene I spotted from the commercials that was even looked a lot like something from the series is when. They're shooting him with arrows in his wrists, and they've got ropes on him. Isn't there like a scene where they've got chains hooked into him? There are. There, I mean, there's scenes where they've taken visual things from the comic, mm-hmm. right. or things that happen in the comic, and definitely characters. But the roles that the characters have and how they interact and meet are different. Um, y- Yukio and Mariko, their their relationship is completely different in the movie than than it is in in the comic but they're both there you know right so it's 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 a different it's a different thing altogether it's its own it's its own but it it's sort of in spirit it's its own sort of thing it's sort of like um even more so than first class one of those movies where it's a superhero movie but for for a lot of it it could be a james bond movie you know what I mean? Or it could be a, just an adventure intrigue story where, you know, Wolverine, you know, Wolverine's try. It's not as much a full-out mutant science fiction-y comic book-y story. It does sort of go to that t- towards the end. But a lot of it is just sort of a gritty... I don't think he ever wears his Wolverine outfit, you know? Well, he, he really doesn't in the movies, period. Right, right. So I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's a different it's a different beast altogether. They all sort of seem to be patchwork creations of 
different comics and timelines and time periods, trying to get a little everything for everybody. Right. But I would have loved to have seen a straight-up adaptation of this. Knowing Frank Miller, he probably owns some kind of rights to it or something where it might be they might have to pay him or something, which would mean they wouldn't want to do it. See, I would think that a movie that would be based on this and, and be a literal adaptation would feel very much like how I felt reading this is like, I don't want to be overly harsh about it. I, I don't want to take it too much to task because I, I think it's simply it's a product of its time. But looking at it from my perspective is this is my first time reading it. it. It just there was very little in here for me that felt like, man, I've seen this a million times. And it's because it was innovative when it came out. And a lot of people copied this stuff. Oh, and yeah. So when the ninjas kept showing up, all I could think of was the ninja hedge from the tick because that's where it eventually it got so ridiculous that that's where it eventually went to parody and so a lot of stuff in this that back in 1982 is probably really awesome cool now just i look at it and go that's ridiculous the, you know the, and, and frank so it was miller really was the only one talking about ninjas at this right point, yeah at that know? time yeah you're right but there was just there were so many times in this that it was really hard for me to kind of put my mind back to this time period and go, no, 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 this was original then. I know it's laughable now, but it was really original then. You know, the hand. Every time the hand showed up, I couldn't help but think of the Ninja Turtles and the foot because that's where the foot came from. So right. it was it was really tough for me. I I just I didn't hate it, but I didn't. I just didn't find it particularly original or entertaining only because I'm seeing it after all the imitation and after all the parody and it just didn't really hold up. Plus, I mean, I've never been the biggest Frank Miller fan anyway, but wow, looking again at this after all these years now, you know, Chris, when this came out, I really didn't like the art style on this. It took me a long, long time to warm up to Frank Miller and he's still not one of my favorites, but eventually I came to like and respect his style. Looking back at this again. Now I see everything I didn't like about this. I think he and Joe Rubenstein are a terrible pairing. I think Joe Rubenstein's a hell of an inker. He's just not a good inker for Frank Miller. They, they have two completely disparate styles that do yeah, they not match. Well or I, I disagree. Cause I liked the way I like Stein's the artwork. Too, I like the way his 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 style complemented Miller because I thought it took Miller's very very basic style, which is really the way I see Miller's style. It's it's you know he, he does his storytelling and and all of that, but his detail is very very sparse. And I thought Rubenstein added a lot of detail. Uh, you know, it did make it more close to the house style, but I thought it retained its storytelling quality and yet still, you know, had a little bit more detail. Uh, I, I particularly liked the, uh, basically the rendering of the black and white photo of uh, Mariko. I thought mm-hmm. that, that looked, you know, it almost had a photo quality to it, which I thought was terrific. And that's before anybody was, you know, wind, uh, what is it, uh, window boxing and drawing that right. way. Right, right. So I mean, I actually like the Rubenstein uh, Miller pairing. I I don't think it you know they don't have that natural uh, connection that he had with Klaus Janssen, but 
I, I still think it was you know pretty high quality. I I mean I still I I love the art in this. I love this is you see this is that period of Frank Miller before he went totally on his own when he was still in the comics and he had to collaborate with people. So he was sort of innovating with his, uh, you know, frame, the way he would lay out the frames and the whole page. And I liked how he would do the signs in Tokyo here or whatever city they were in, where there'd be no penciling or inking. It was just color Mm, to uh, make all the neon signs and stuff. I thought that looked really neat. And uh, but it was still it was somewhere more towards, you know, when you'd see his Daredevil books where it was still a Marvel comic, you know, before Ronan was, you know, this the point where Frank Miller became, you know, Frank Miller, the, the island of his own where he was the sole creator and stuff. But, uh, you know, I think his work really benefits from having that that probably time limitation and having to to collaborate with other people and uh there's parts of this that didn't age well but it's really weird it's like some of the art that i didn't like before i like now but there were there's some stuff like the the big shot of uh mariko when she turns and uh she's got a big shiner and uh noogie on the side of her face it, I remember when I was a kid and I saw that it looked all horribly out of proportion to me. Right. And uh, now it looks now it looks fine. It's weird. Mm. I, I, it... I I like a lot of the the, the layouts though. I, I particularly you know made a point of mentioning in my uh, synopsis the the shot where you know he's in the bar and. You know, he, he sees everybody as a silhouette except for the guy who he's tracking, and it's basically yeah. kind of trying to show you how he's using his sense of smell, and it makes the guy stand out to him. Uh, I, I like the, the shot when the guys are attacking him in the alley at the end, and you, you see them holding up the, uh, you know, a ni- what is it, a knife, a club, and a pipe, and then all of a sudden you see them, like, well, re- you know, just basically in position where they're dropping them, so you know that he just took them out. Yeah. And well, you see, there's a, a lot of the martial art fighting in it is what I really like in it because it's like when you're watching a really good martial arts movie, like a Jackie Chan movie, and the fights are choreographed and stuff. He's he's emulating that, and he can show some things, you know, but he has to adapt it to comics, so he can show some things you wouldn't see if somebody was filming it like a movie, but at the same time. He's using the framing and stuff to evoke the feel of a movie. And so the if shadows. You know the ri- yeah, and if you know the rhythm of kung fu movies and stuff, you can sort of see, you know, how he was playing. At, you know, you can sort of see physically, you know, how people were ducking and how everything is going in every different direction and sort of how it would look as a movie. And I always like that, you know. Because I was like kung fu movies too when I was that age, so it was it was like a kung fu movie, but it was better than a kung fu movie because it didn't have the cheesy, low budget production. It had your imagination filling in all the gaps, so it was a lot more moody and more cinematic than actually the movie versions of what it was ripping off. Plus, it was taking a lot of like lone wolf and cub 
style art and that and the way the fights would happen in that. What's the lone wolf? <clears> which and at cub? the time That's... I didn't know about. I've read a lot of the lone wolf and cubs now. What is that? Yeah, it's I, a I don't know. Guy, what that... It's a guy that looks like Wolverine, <laughs> and uh, isn't he got like an infant or something? He these yeah. Guys there were there were a bunch of movies made. And they've been re-edited into American versions, and it's, yeah, it's a, a Ronin, a samurai without a master. Master, yeah. And he's got a son, and you know when his master's house was taken down or went down, his wife got killed, and so he took his baby son. He actually made. He actually took a took his son and had a rubber ball and a sword. And he put his son down, and if the son went to the rubber ball, he was going to kill him to put him out of his misery. But if he went to the sword, he came along with him, and the kid went over to the sword. So he travels the land as a sort of mercenary with his little kid in the baby cart, and the baby cart has, you know, blades that come out the side. But there are these really somber stories about honor and family and betrayal and it was episodic, but it had overarching arcs. But it was Frank Miller got all the the Cop, Lone Wolf and Cub digests that I bought that were reissues all have Frank Miller covers on it. So he's a you know admitted fan and acolyte of this guy, and it shows. When I read these, it was just like, oh yeah, okay, I see. You know, I see the hundred ninjas coming over the rooftops. You know, I see where that came from. And it definitely seemed to be a collaboration of Miller and Claremont, both kind of combining on trying to get that. You know, I think 70s Frank Miller helped out a lot with the writing because you can hear some of his voice in the writing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, do you think it was a little too o- over the top in the last scene when they're fighting, and um, Wolverine has his fist in Shinsen's face, and then the next shot you see his eyes are uh, Wolverine's eyes are blood red, completely red. And it's, you know, schnick. And no. He's pretty much, well, <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be in comics. Lurid. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, but, but, but with like the red eyes, it's kind of like, really? Yeah. No, What's funny that. is I can remember this being um, concerning to parents. And there were write-ups and stuff about oh. this sort of thing in the trades at the time. And now you read it and it seems so tame. tame. Yeah. But at the time, this was groundbreaking stuff, you know. Uh, it was because uh, of the tone of it. The right, tone, exactly. We're, we're used to that dark tone. And that's another thing is we're burned out. Well, I, when I say we, I mean me. But, you know, and I think, Scott, you are too. But I don't want to speak for everybody. But kind of burned out on the dark, dark tone. And this, and this was the beginning right. of it. I mean, this was a... Yeah, this, this was, was a... Pr- Pretty, pretty strong night. meat yeah. from Chris Claremont, right? At the time, right? It wasn't yeah. your usual X Men. It didn't have really any humor to it. And not until the end did you see the normal Wolverine, where he's like, "Hey, bring the beer," you know. <laughs> he was sort of like the the crazy fun guy, you know, irreverent guy, but he was a a violent psychopath. You know, but he, he was, was always a, joking with his. He pals. was a Steve. He was a Steve Martin of the X Men. Yeah, and, <laughs> and in this one, he makes jokes, but they're more like. And this was also before catchphrases, before somebody dying, was uh, was before Arnold ruined that. 
Because Wolverine's got a lot of catchphrases as he's chucking people out windows or killing them or, you know, last words. He's got a lot of that. And it when this came out, that was cool. It was just like, yes. <laughs> and now when I read it, it's just like, oh, did he have to say that? No, he would have just chucked him off the off the cliff you know oh it, arnold schwarzenegger as wolverine why did that never happen that's exactly what i was just thinking <laughs> i'm the best i am best there is at what i do what i do is not pretty bob oh, yeah i have klaus <laughs> this is my assistant klaus <laughs> <laughs> he's made of aluminium it's strong strong metal no, I can't, can't. No, it turns into like Slavic accent in five seconds. I don't know. I love it, man. I love it. I'm going to go back and read. When I went to dig this, the issue number one out of my uh, long box, I saw my Daredevils there, and I'm just like, hmm, I should read these again. Yeah, I haven't reread those in a long time, but I bet you they hold up pretty well. I There was a. What okay. comes first, the the issue of Daredevil where he wore the brown outfit or this? Because didn't mm, this know. sort of solidify the brown outfit? No, the brown uh, outfit, I just did a quick search for that while we were talking. It came out in X-Men 139 in 1980 because I was curious when oh, the brown okay. outfit came out. Yeah. Because I it's thought really... it was here that the brown outfit was introduced, but no, I was yeah. wrong. Well, when they have the first shot of the brown outfit, it's sort of like, here it is, you know. And I, I like the brown outfit. I've always liked the brown outfit over the blue and and, uh, and yellow because, to me, he looks more like, oh, I don't know, a Wolverine. It was actually introduced during the uh, during the the Phoenix Saga. Yeah, well, yeah it, was, he, it was. This was the outfit of one of the not legionnaires, but whatever they're yeah, called. Timberwolf. The Imperial Guard, no. right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Well, Wolverine no. should be Earth Tones. You know, he's a, he's, I think Wolverine's at his best when he's like in the woods, you know, in Canada. I think the Phoenix Fighting Saga. bears, you know. Well, what's <laughs> oh, funny my. is at the beginning of this, when he goes into, you know, he climbs the mountain and he's going into that cave. I thought he was going after the Wendigo, which I think would have been a really yeah. cool opening <laughs> as well. But it turned out to just be a bear. But here's one thing. I, I just have to point this out real quick. This one thing that's always driven me nuts about Wolverine, um, from especially from this time period. And I don't know that they've ever really corrected this in modern comics either, because I still see it happen today. So he walks into the bar, right? And a couple pa- uh, a couple panels later, this isn't a joke, is it? Hunter guy, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guy so. Smacks him in the face with a beer stein and says uh, he calls him Shorty. At no point in any of these four issues did I get the impression that Wolverine was any shorter than anybody else. As a matter of oh, fact, no, he's an drawn issue as number- the tallest person on most. Of- Look when he walks into the bar. He's the there's, tallest person in that bar when he walks in. There's only one. I it's thought the same thing. There's one scene, and I think it's in the issue two, the one that I did, where he's walking through like a hotel, and he's there's like a bellhop, and and he's he's stumpy. He's a little stumpy guy, but for the most, when you see him fighting, he's all stretched out, and he looks like he's really big and tall. But, yeah, just in one scene do you see him where it's like he looks like a little... Because 
that's what he's supposed to be a little little guy who's just insanely or short you know he's built right. but he's short yeah okay. they definitely don't um they they definitely go completely the opposite of that Maybe Scott, that you, guy was just nine feet tall or something. <laughs> you you were thinking about the Fang costume, and it was X Men One Hundred Seven, designed by Dave mm-hmm. Cockrum. Originally intended to become Wolverine's new outfit, the Fang costume, named for the Imperial Guard warrior it belonged to, who Wolverine took it from after victory in battle, lasted only two issues. So yeah, that was the Fang <laughs> costume. So he did have a brown costume before this one, but the brown and tan first appeared in X Men One Thirty Nine. Hmm. He should have. He should just have a leather jacket with it, like, with the wool, you know, wool lining on it, and jeans. That should be his outfit. Can't get him a, to wear any stupid outfit, you know. With a big W on the chest. <laughs> <laughs> Was it ever it. revealed what Mariko's husband had on Shingen to give to to no. convince the guy? That drove me nuts. That seems like that would have been a very important part of the story that you have to, you have to reveal that. Otherwise, it, I thought it he was saying they might have sense. been it, I think he might have been setting up stuff for the future because they totally. I mean, they totally set, started out with, uh, oh, her father just showed up. Well, no, 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 no. It, it, missing for you know all this time, and started was... and marrying her off, and you know. Well, it says when she's recapping in issue four, it says, uh, uh, "My father returned as this from the dead and bid me bid me marry another to satisfy an obligation my father had incurred." Right. So it's that not necessarily it. that the guy had anything on him, but he owed him some he owed him something something. So that something became her. Yeah, it's a fair fair payoff. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have two daughters. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> in case you go to Vegas one night. <laughs> and we go out there. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.